Well, please turn with me back to the book of Genesis and turning to Genesis 27, and we'll pick up our reading at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me. Even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, uh, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? 
Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Last week, uh, we said we were, Lord willing, going to begin a new series together in our evenings together, looking at the life of Jacob. And we highlighted that there's good reasons to study uh, Jacob. It's good for us to think about Jacob as one of the patriarchs in order to understand something of the unfolding of God's purposes in history, to understand how the people of God took shape how God's promises are taking form in real history. But we also highlighted that it's good for us to be able to look at Jacob because when we look at Jacob, we are being given something of a window through which to see the life of faith being worked out in real people's lives. And one of the things that we highlighted with Jacob is is that from beginning to end, every aspect of Jacob's life is lived out before and in front of his family. And we've been highlighting uh, already uh, by looking at Jacob that really this is the case with many of us, that it's before our family that our faith is really hitting the road. It's before our family that we show our faith and we live out our faith and give testimony to God in our lives. For many of us, that will be uh, a common characteristic. And so we can see the relevance for Jacob, even as we come to uh, begin this study uh, together, uh, that life is one that is lived out before others, and oftentimes even before family members. But this evening, as we're turning back uh, to Genesis, as we think about family, we realize that the Bible tells us that the family is something important, something good for us to be reminded of in our own day, uh, to be able to see that the family has an important place in society and in the nurture and the maturing of young ones, to be able to see that we're brought into this world in the context of a family. But the Bible is also realistic. The Bible also highlights that some of the most painful things that we can go through in life can come from family. That some of the tensions, the dynamics uh, that shape us, that alter us, that direct us can be from our family. And as we come to look at one religious family, Isaac and Rebekah, we see that even in a, a, a religious home, There can be dynamics at play. There can be tensions at play that can have big consequences on uh, future generations. 
And we see that even this evening as we look at the blessing uh, that is being pronounced. This evening we want to look at uh, this chapter, Genesis 27, where Isaac blesses Jacob. And we really want to see how God is working through this family uh, to accomplish his purposes. And so we want to think about uh, this event in three thoughts. We want to think about the determination to be blessed or to bless. Then secondly, we want to think about the deception that takes place. And then finally, the discovery uh, as well. Well, first, there is the determination. Central uh, to this whole event is the blessing, uh, the patriarchal blessing, uh, the blessing of, uh, of God ultimately being passed on. And this whole event is really anchored in something that happened back in the life of Abraham. You remember that God made great promises to Abraham, that God came to Abraham and he said, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you remember that after Abraham, God's blessing was then directed towards the child of promise, towards Isaac, not to Ishmael. It was not directed towards the child that Abraham tried to be the fulfillment of God's purposes, but rather through the child of promise. And so God's blessing was directed. It was transferred ultimately to Isaac. And then Isaac has twins. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And the question becomes, to whom will receive this blessing? Will it be one that is shared by both of them? Or will it be given to one over the other? And as we come to this event, we come to it already knowing the oracle of God. That God had made it clear that the older will serve the younger. That it won't be both of these sons that will be blessed. But rather it will be one son that is blessed by God. And there will be a separation between these sons. There will be a division between them. And an ascendancy of one over the other. And we begin to see with that oracle in mind, how is this going to play itself out? Are these sons worthy of the blessing of God? And already we have seen certain traits in Esau that show something of him not being worthy. That Esau was someone who showed himself not only to be impassionate, someone that was controlled by his, uh, his passions ultimately, uh, someone that was impulsive, we see that even in giving away his birthright for red stew. But we also see more than that in Esau. Esau is most definitively characterized by indifference. Not only did he sit down and have his stew, and then it tells us he rose up and walked away without regret. But as you look at Esau's life, you don't see any acknowledgement of the fear of God in him. That you see in Esau a man who's not just controlled by his passions, but you see a man who does not show a concern about the promises of God. That's something that's being hinted at here in different ways, even with his marriage to the Hittite women. 
that whereas Abraham was very concerned that his son Isaac would not marry one of the women of Canaan, that Esau shows no regard for that concern. Abraham did not want Isaac to marry one of the Canaanites for fear that he would be compromised himself, that the way of the Canaanites was of a different faith, that they would have a a pull on him that would not make him faithful to the Lord. And so Isaac also uh, here is having a son who is to be married, but Esau marries one of the Hittite women. And we're told that even Rebekah, that life was made bitter for both Isaac and Rebekah because of these Hittite women. This is not trying to disparage or to be a prejudice against Hittite women, but rather it's recognizing a difference of way of life and that this difference is one that is causing division and turmoil even in the family. And so even in Esau here in, the, uh, in marrying these Hittite women, he doesn't show the same concern about being kept separate from the world. He doesn't show the same concern about the promises of God that were given to Abraham and passed on to his father. But rather, Esau is simply going along with life and he is willing to take on whatever comes his way. And so we see here a man who shows himself not really as worthy of inheriting those blessings. A man who's controlled by passions over principle. A man who at no point in his life shows a willingness to separate from the world is not someone who is going to carry the promises of God. He's going to be compromised. But as we come to think about that oracle, we're already beginning to ask the question, so then is the younger one worthy? If the older one is not, what about Jacob? Is Jacob more worthy of God's blessings? And this event here uncovers something about Jacob as well. Jacob is no more worthy of God's blessings. And that's the startling truth of what is transpiring here. That we've seen something about Esau, but what we're going to uncover is something about Jacob. He's not just an opportunist. He's not just a schemer. Jacob is a deceiver. Jacob is a liar. Jacob is a blasphemer. And yet it is going to be Jacob who receives the promises of God. So we see this unfolding of two uh, sons, two very different sons, but both of them showing themselves as living with many warts, many faults, uh, many things that would disqualify them as being worthy of God's blessings. But we're told here at the beginning of chapter 27 that Isaac's eye, Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, and he was now determined to bless his son because he didn't know when he would die. And you notice here that uh, Isaac tells his son Esau, the older one, to go and get food, go and hunt, so that he might eat of his game and he might bless him before he dies. But we're meant to read that and to understand those words against the backdrop 
of God's oracle. God had already declared that the younger was to be blessed. The younger was going to rise up and ascend the older. The younger one was the one whom the Lord had chosen. And so while it tells us here that Isaac was dim in his eyes, he can't see so well, we're also seeing that even a godly man like Isaac can be unable to see spiritually well either. That he's unable to see things because of his own blindness. Not physical blindness, but because of favoritism that has creeped, crept into the family. You remember that it told us that Isaac loved Esau because of the game, because he was a hunter. Isaac could identify with that. And so there was a, a, a semblance, there was a, a bond between them that now has taken prominence where Isaac is purposing to bless Esau despite God's oracle. And so he sends him out uh, for that purpose. So there's the determination to bless uh, uh, Esau despite the oracle of God declaring that Jacob was the one that the Lord had chosen. But then secondly, we read about the deception that takes place here. Uh, we're seeing when we come to these people, uh, this family, how deception carries the way from generation to generation to generation. You weave through the story of Abraham, then you come to Isaac, you come to Jacob, and you see deception pass from generation to generation. And we see that happening even here. And it tells us in verse 5 that when Rebekah was listening to these words uh, about Isaac's intention to bless Esau, she went and told Jacob what she had heard. And she now purposed uh, to uh, respond to it with her own strategy. Rebekah could have went and told her husband and confronted her husband that this was against the word of God. That this was in violation of what God had declared. The oracle had said the younger will be greater than the older. The older will serve the younger. But Rebecca instead chooses another way of trying to rectify the situation. She decides that she will do it uh, through a scheme of her own. And so as she uh, uh, orchestrates a plan, she instructs Jacob to go and to get uh, two goats. She tells him uh, uh, to do this. And notice that Jacob objects to it. He objects to this whole plot, but not on the ground of principle. It's not the principle that he objects to. It's rather what if that he's concerned about. What if we're uncovered? What if this is all exposed? Then it would mean that I'm mocking my father and I would be cursed by my father. The consequences would be too big. But you notice that once Rebecca can dissuade him of the concerns of being found out, let your curse be upon me, just do what I say. Put on these goat skins and that'll cover your concern about being a smooth-skinned man instead of a hairy. Once she convinces him that the threat is gone, Jacob is happy to go along with this whole plot. But in spite of that, Jacob is missing the real danger of sin. 
He is not realizing that sins have real consequences. And we can be just like Jacob. We can go through our life not on the basis of what is right, but on the basis of what are going to be the consequences if I'm caught. What will be the repercussions? What's the worst case scenario and the likelihood of that scenario working itself out? And if we convince ourselves the likelihood is small, the consequences don't seem that big, we will perhaps feel comfortable enough to go forward with boldness and to do things that are wrong. But if that's our mindset, we have to realize that sin is deceptive. That we can be deceived ourselves by sin. Because sin does not show the hook. Sin does not show us what the true cost will be. And we can be lured into sin, not thinking of what it will actually do. But as the scriptures say, we are to be sure that our sins will find us out. That's what happens in Jacob here, isn't it? How long does it really take for Jacob's sin to be uncovered? Not long. Jacob's actions are exposed very quickly. But not only are they exposed, the consequences of his sins are huge. There will be lifetime consequences for Jacob. There will be a rift in the family. There will be a separation in the family. There will be hatred in the family. But none of that seemed to be at the forefront of Jacob's mind when he was told, your curse be upon me, just do as I'm told. And so Jacob here is not thinking about the consequences rationally. He is deceived by the lure of sin. But sin is costly. And Jacob's actions uh, have a long-term consequence. But even if Jacob's actions were undetected to here, he is still accountable to God which shows that the ultimate issue is this principled conviction that the life I live, I am accountable to God. Do you live with that mindset? Or do you go through life simply by thinking, what are the consequences? What's the likelihood? How bad would things get? Will people find out? We can find ourselves in all kinds of trouble when we take on the Jacob mindset and simply think things won't be troublesome. So we see here this deceptive plot taking shape. We're told that Jacob ultimately goes along with his mother's plan. He puts on the clothes of Esau, the skins of the young goats, so that he has the appearance or the feel of his brother. But notice how this whole plot just thickens with sin, compounding on itself. Jacob will go on and he will deceive Uh, his father. He will lie to his father three times. He will lie to him about his identity, saying that he's Esau. He will then uh, 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 go beyond that. Uh, He will lie about how he got the meat. He doesn't simply lie how he got the meat, but he'll even invoke the name of God in order to advance his purposes. The Lord, your God, whom you serve, gave me this meat. He's willing to use God's name in order to dissuade any further investigation. And then he'll once again lie about his identity when pressed about who he really is. So we see this willingness to deceive his own father and the lengths that he will go 
in order to get the blessing that he wants. When Esau, sorry, when Isaac smells the garments of Esau, he pronounces a blessing on Jacob. And you notice there, there are the three elements of the blessing. There's the prosperity, uh, that uh, he will have the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the plenty of grain and wine. There's the primacy, uh, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. A clear echo of what was given to Jacob and Esau. This, this pronouncement is connecting back with what God had said. That, that there will be a blessing uh, of supremacy, of ascendancy. Uh, but notice as well, not only is there the primacy, but there's the protection. In verse 29, it says, Cursed be anyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. A clear echo not only to Abraham, but to God's purposes uh, 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 being channeled now uh, through the son of Isaac. So we see this uh, deceptive act by the younger. One who belittles and mocks his father. One who's willing to lie to get ahead. One who's willing to invoke God's name in order to get what he wants. Is this man more worthy of God's blessings? And the, the point is, is that we are to come away not thinking that this justifies deceptive tactics. The Bible's clear. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's not what this event is about. Rather, it's about uncovering who this Jacob really is. That people would understand he's unworthy of God's blessings. The narrator is showing not only uh, Jacob's actions, but we see that the consequences of this are far-reaching. Again, the family is going to be separated. We're going to see uh, a division in the family as a result of all of this. Uh, and this deceptiveness carries on, doesn't it? Just as Abraham deceived and Isaac deceived, Jacob is a deceiver. But then it comes full circle, doesn't it? Because what happens later in Jacob's life? Jacob is on the receiving end of deception. When Jacob's sons tell him Joseph's dead. Now Jacob is going to taste his own medicine. And so the Bible is not vindicating or justifying Jacob here. It's showing the, de the destructiveness of Jacob's actions and the consequences that it brings. So there is the determination of Isaac. He wanted to bless. His intention was aimed one way. He was going to bless Esau despite God's oracle. There's the deception. Rebecca is moving things in a different direction. She wants Jacob to be blessed in accordance with the oracle of God. But then there's also the discovery of all of what has just happened. After Jacob was blessed, we're told that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob left and we're told that Esau came in uh, from hunting and presented the food to his father. When Isaac asked, who are you? And Esau told him, Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate of it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. 
You notice there that Esau responded with a great bitterness. That he was uh, torn about what had taken place. He cried out asking Isaac to give him some blessing. Jacob's underhanded actions had brought uh, division and destruction to the family. And Esau now viewed his brother in a very different light. Jacob, which means one who reaches out. His birth, he reached out and grabbed his brother's heel. Now Esau looks at him in a very different light. He is called Jacob because he overreaches himself. Because he seized and he did not love. And now there is hatred in this family. That what Jacob has done brings a real consequence. Real sin brings division. And now Esau is filled with rage. There is no hint that Esau grieved the loss of the spiritual benefits, but rather that he grieved the temporal benefits that he had forfeited, the prosperity, the primacy. Esau could still have found blessing by being blessed in the one who was blessed, but instead he was filled with rage and he vowed to kill Jacob. One commentator, a man named Ian Duguid, makes a very helpful observation here, I think, about Esau. He writes, although Esau's reaction took an extreme form, the basic heart movement is not uncommon. In their later years, many people come to recognize at some level that their lives have been built on the wrong foundation. They discover halfway through that their whole lives have been spent climbing the wrong ladder. However, they will not come to the one who will bring them meaning and hope into their lives, Jacob's greater descendant, Jesus. Instead, their hearts are turned toward anger and bitterness. Esau was angry about what had happened. But in his response, there is no willingness to be corrected himself, to look to God for blessing. But rather, he's just filled with rage about the resentment of what has been denied him, of hitting a dead end in what he was pursuing in this life. And that's something that can happen to any one of us. So what are we to make of this whole event? It's a messy situation. Deceptiveness between husband and wife. We see deceptiveness between brothers. We see separation taking place here. But this is ultimately not about vindicating uh, deceptive tactics. Rather, the point is to show how God was determined to have the older serve the younger and how he accomplished his purpose even through all the scheming and deceptiveness and the family tensions of this family. Even in the mess of life, God was still working. That's how we're to read the story of Jacob. That's how the people of Israel were to read this event. As they look back and they think of themselves as the people who are promised the blessings of Abraham, the descendants of Jacob are to recognize we are the ones to whom God's blessing has been given. 
that we are those who are to rise up and to ascend, that the Edomites who are harassing us and with this hostility that we are experiencing, we are to recognize that God is working through this. And although things are messy, his will will be done and his purposes will prevail. Ultimately, this points us forward to the work of God in the Lord Jesus. God works through deceptive schemes uh, for good, and we see that ultimately in Jesus. Peter on the day of Pentecost makes that point that this was all done according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Deceitful schemes of religious leaders put Jesus to death. And yet at the same time, God was causing his purposes not only to prevail, but he was causing his son to ascend. Because he would lower the authority and the grandeur of the religious priests. And he would exalt his anointed one. So that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus. And those who are blessed are those who find their blessing in him. So you think about this event. What is Israel to conclude? They're to conclude they're no better than the Edomites. Esau was not worthy of God's blessing. And it was taken from him. But neither was Jacob. Jacob wasn't worthy either. But that's grace. God's grace was communicated to Jacob not because he deserved it, but because God's purposes would prevail. And so for the people of God, as they look at themselves, they're not to boast in themselves, but rather they are to live trusting it is only by God's grace that we can be the recipients of God's favor. And we can only be blessed if we are trusting in the son of Jacob, the Lord Jesus, the one who has been given authority over all things, the one who has ascended, the one who is favored in the Lord's sight. Where are we at this evening? Are we being directed by God's promises? Or are we living our lives not thinking about the consequences of sin, like Jacob, and scheming? Or living, rather, with the passions of the, of the flesh, with no concern about God, like Esau? We ultimately need to be shaped by the knowledge of God's grace to be able to live recognizing our own fallenness, but recognizing God's goodness in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the life of Jacob, that we would recognize the weightiness of our actions, that we would recognize the consequences of sin. And we pray, Lord, that in all the messiness of life, we would be able to find our confidence, our strength, knowing that your will will prevail and that you are a God who works all things together for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we pray that we would not be proud, that we would not have a haughty heart, but that we would recognize that we too have fallen short of the glory of God. And we pray, Lord, that we would put our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus, the one who is worthy of the promises and the one who has fulfilled the purposes of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.